Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Todd McLeod, and it's go time, baby. It's Go Time, a weekly podcast where we discuss interesting topics around the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. If you currently write Go or aspire to, this is the show for you. Okay, we're back. Today we have uh, guest Todd McLeod joining us, and we'll be talking about a lot of exciting events in the Go community. So why don't we start off with you introducing yourself, Todd. Tell us uh, who you are and, and kind of what you've been doing in the Go community. Uh, yeah, great. I'm really glad to be here and super excited to share my experience with Go and some of the things I've learned about Go. I am a tenured faculty at Fresno City College in CIT, and I'm also adjunct faculty at California State University Fresno in computer science, which is a bit of a surprise <laughs> because I didn't know that this is where my career was going to end up because I studied economics and I studied business. I got my MBA and then I was hired by the college to teach accounting, started for them in 2000. And uh, I had a real knack for computers. So in 2001, they moved me over into the tech side doing some basic computer stuff, HTML, CSS, cold fusion. And uh, and then slowly, it just kind of evolved into more and more uh, coding. And I really love to code. I like the creative process behind it. You know, I feel like I have an artist's soul and being able to create things, bringing together the left mind and the right mind, the engineering, the science, you know, the very the precision of programming, but also being able to build something. I love that. And uh, so in 2013, my, my job duties had shifted at the university and the college in 2005, and I was put in charge of online education. And I basically started this institute to teach all of the college and university professors in Central California how to teach online, because I've been teaching online since 1997. I really embraced the web early. And uh, so from 2005 to 2013, I did no programming, <laughs> right? Like I was in the programming game and then I was out of it, like cold out of it. My job is an entirely different description. And then that kind of wound down in 2013. And they're like, well, do you want to jump back into coding? I was like, yeah, okay. So what server-side language should I use now? And uh, and do people still use Dreamweaver? <laughs> and my, my my colleague just shook her head. She's like, oh God, you got go, you got a lot to learn. <laughs> And um, and so I, I started looking around at different server side languages, you know, like, hey, what it JSP, ASP, <laughs> dang, we can't use cold fusion. I knew that one. Uh, PHP. Right. Or do we want to go with Ruby or Node or Python? And then I had this student who I trained back in the early 2000s who'd become an awesome JavaScript engineer. Aaron Roberson, shout out to you. Shout out to Nike. Right. He's up at Nike now, one of their engineers. And Aaron is like, dude, you got to check out Go. <laughs> and I was like, Go, what's Go? He's like, Go is like the Zen perfection of programming. I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Tell me more about Go. And uh, he's like, it was built by the masters, masters. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, Google built Go. They hired the heaviest hitters in the industry and they, they put some of the greatest minds to work. I'm like, the great, who? Who are the greatest minds? Uh, Rob Pike, Robert Gressmer. Uh, and I'm totally speaking, Ken Thompson, the same people who created the C programming language, Unix, 
UTF-8, they created language because Google, all the languages in the world weren't making Google happy. And so Google said, let's build a new language. And so they hired these guys who helped create C, helped create Unix, helped create UTF-8, and they created this new language, Go. And uh, you got to check that out. It's built to do what Google does, right? And so when I heard that, I was like, okay, you totally got my interest, <laughs> right? The credentials sold me alone. And uh, so I just started like really having to level up, like level my skill set up. And it was just like late nights, late nights, late nights, 2013. Is this too much? Do you guys want me to keep rambling? No, ramble on. This is this is my intro, right? But 2013, late nights, Pluralsight, Lynda.com, uh, Udacity. I went through this crazy course on Udacity, Introduction Computer Science. It's one of the hardest courses I've ever taken in my life. It started out the first couple of videos. They're all on YouTube. And it's uh, and it's like there was like 65,000 views on the first modules of videos. When I got to like module seven, I was getting into videos that were like, 12 views, <laughs> 13 views. It's like 65,000 people started this course and we're down to 12 people who've made it this far. And at the end of the course in Python, we rebuilt the algorithm that Larry Page used to create Google. So the basic sort of crawler to index everything and, and parse all the HTML. So it was a crazy intense course, taught myself Python online, taught myself Java. And uh, and then started picking up Go, got some grant money, put some programs together in uh, 2000 and let's see, 2015. So 2014, December, that's when I started learning Go. And then in 2015, literally two and a half weeks later, I was teaching it at the university uh, the first time through. And we were it was like kind of a laboratory project where all of the students and myself are trying to figure out how do we do web dev with this language? And then in 2015, in the summer, awesome experience, this incredible grant, uh, strong workforce development grant gave us $100,000, crazy amount of money to put together a boot camp to train people how to do web dev. And so we took that $100,000 and I hired all of the people that I wanted to learn from. <laughs> and we flew them in. And uh, for four weeks, Caleb Doxy kicked my butt <laughs> right like and caleb i uh, i have so much appreciation because he was a merciless teacher he took no mercy and he just plowed ahead and he gave me more material than i could assimilate and uh, and he really gave an incredible foundation for myself and everybody in our region who is interested in web dev how to do web dev with go so caleb really broke some incredible trail and then we took all of that which we learned from caleb and we've just been teaching it California State University, Fresno, and Fresno City College. And uh, and it's been an incredible experience just to be involved. I love the language. I love the fact, to me, it's a programmer's language, right? Like this isn't a Mickey Mouse language. This is for people who really know how to program. And uh, you have to understand what's going on at all levels. Like if you're doing web dev with Go, you have to know the HTTP protocol. You have to know RFC 7230 and the IETF. You have to know that every you know bunch of text that's going back between the client and the server, it's formatted in a certain way. And you've got your, your, uh, your start line, and then you have your headers, and then you have your body. And you have to know the syntax of the status line and the request line. And you know be able to parse that and put together your own serve mux. And what is a serve mux? First time I heard serve mux mux, I thought, Man, are we talking about a dog here? <laughs> you know, what's a serve mux? And you know, but that's basically just another name for server or router. And 
And, you know, once you understand all that using the net package, you know, you can start to put together your own server and do all of your own routing without even having to rely upon what's available to you in the net HTTP package. But when you can do that, you understand the net HTTP package. So I think Go is amazing. Uh, for web dev, it's my first choice. I love it because of the performance. Uh, you know, another interesting anecdote, just to finish the ramble, is when I first started learning Go, there weren't a lot of materials out there for web dev, but Go was really big quickly in China because Go scales incredibly. I mean, Go does what Google does. And so one of the books that I started reading was a book written, I think the guy's name was Ask Taxi. And, uh, and he wrote that book in Chinese and then it got translated to English. So I was trying to learn Go Web Dev <laughs> in a book that was basically Chinglish. I don't know if you know Chinglish, you could Google it. But so it's been a fun experience, at times exhausting. You know, like last night I was up till, I mean, I saw Bill Kennedy tweet at like, uh, you know, 3.30 my time. So he was just getting up 6.30 East Coast time. I was like, all right, Bill, talk to you in a couple of hours, <laughs> you know, because it's just like, I don't know. I've got a bit of that obsessive, intense, passionate focus, like the artist soul. You know, I get into something. I just love to get into it. And um, I'm putting together this training now to do web dev with Go, taking everything that Caleb taught all of us and everything we've learned through teaching it. I think we've done it seven session, sections now at the university and college. So everything we've learned teaching at the university and college to graduate students in computer science who get it really quick and are super fast, super sharp and want to know even more <laughs> to like first year community college students who like, for whatever reason, didn't make it into the four year university or like just getting going with like academia and like studying and all that. And so, you know, refining what we learned from Caleb and having taught it in these different environments, we put together this really good approachable and that's the key word, approachable uh, code pathway for learning web dev with Go. Because I think for language to be successful, and I really want Go to be successful because I don't want to have to go learn another language, but for language to be successful, you have to, uh, you have to make it practical. Like, you know, hey, this has to get something done. It has to be really applicable. And it has to have, you know, like you, if you study it as a student, you, you could go out and you could get a job, but it also has to be approachable. So I think one of the next big things that I'd love to see for the language is like a Tony Gaddis style book. And Tony Gaddis is a famous programming textbook author in academia who's done some, you know, really popular books on Java and C and stuff like that. So I'd love to see a Tony Gaddis style book, because I think another one of the things is like when you start teaching it at the college and the university, people learn that and then they go out in the workplace and they want to use it. Um, it's really hard when you're already in industry and you got your day job to then like work all day. And, you know, if you're passionate, you want to just keep working around the clock on whatever you're doing. It's really hard to like, hey, I know Ruby and I could get this knocked out in six weeks on Ruby. Or I could take a year and a half or nine months and learn this new language and try to do it in that. Ah, let's just get it to market, you know? So it's hard to switch once you're out. So I think the language could really use um, a big foothold in academia. And I'm, I'm happy to be able to help with that, you know? I'm happy to help help bring it along and enjoy it. And I also, I like the adventure of cut and trail. So that's a little bit of my my story uh, or a lot of my story. <laughs> nice having all of you guys here. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Did I take up the whole hour? <laughs> Good job, Todd. With that said, 
Bye, everybody. <laughs> yeah, well, well, why don't we take a moment to introduce the rest of our show? <laughs> this is uh, Brian Kettleson. I'm sitting in for Eric St. Martin today, who's in an airport listening live. Hi, Eric. We miss you. And we've got Bill Kennedy in today. Hey, everybody. And Carlicia Pinto. Hello. Is joining us as usual. <laughs> and we're all excited to be here. You know, funny story. And I love having Bill on the conversation with us because I was like, I got to learn Go. <laughs> you know, I've been charged by my community to help shepherd young minds into programming, and I don't have a solid enough grasp on this language. So I went up and I saw, uh, I took Bill's training at the time, it was, it was called Hardcore Go. Now it's Ultimate Go. I took Bill's training and I told Bill what was going on, and Bill just cracked up. He's like, wow, this is the craziest story I've ever heard. But uh, Bill is great. So I'm really excited to have you on the call here, Bill, or, or, the podcast and um and really appreciated Bill's training, great training and how Bill how much Bill's helped me out to educate me so that I could then go educate other people. He's been a really wonderful mentor and helping teach me and helping grow the community. So cool to have you here, Bill. Yeah, man. And and I've got a lot of good questions for you. Um because we're all trying to teach people um right now at different levels. And you're getting people who have not even programmed before, right? Or by the time they're in one of your classes, they've got some programming background. Yeah, yeah. No, no, a lot of people have never coded before. And so I tried to make, like I put one course out there on Udemy and I tried to make that as approachable as possible. And truth be told, like that's when I was learning the language. And so I'd learned some new stuff and like my background's econ and business. And so some of the uh, nuances of programming that Cold Fusion had completely abstracted away I'm like, oh, okay, so how do we do recursion? Like that was stuff I'd been learning in the entire, you know, 2013 on. And so I just wanted to teach everybody what I'd been through. But that's that's my Udemy course is very approachable. And, um, you know, a lot of people first time in there. I think it's a, I think Go is a great first language because it teaches programming fundamentals exceptionally. You have to know how to program to use it. And it also has a lot of room to grow. Um, so it's not like some Mickey Mouse thing, not that, you know, Mickey Mouse is wonderful, but it's just a saying my son loves Mickey Mouse, but it's not like some Mickey Mouse language where you're going to hit a wall and you can't do any more with it. Or, you know, you're not actually learning what's happening. Um, you know, it's a little bit, it's more low level. So. And I love those Udemy videos that you've been doing. I, I, I catch them every once in a while. And what's amazing to me, and I'm really interested how you got into this. You'll talk and teach, and then suddenly you just start writing everything that you're doing, and you're jumping around, and then you're writing more. And then I'm always curious what happens to all these incredible notes that you're putting together. Oh, writing? What kind of writing? What do you mean? You, you'll say something. And, and In the video? Yeah, in the videos, you're like writing a whole document. By the time you're done with the video, you've got like three pages of notes written down. Oh. I've seen that in a few videos. It's really interesting. I can't. That's the thing, man. I, I don't. I don't uh... I don't, I'm not quite sure where, where I'm doing that, but I'm glad it, it's cool. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Uh, I, I, I have a big writer in me for, for a long time. My hobby in the evenings before I had kids was just to write fiction. So I've written like four, 40 novels that uh, blows me away. <laughs> so let me, trans let me translate to you and we're going to talk about that also, yeah. but let me translate to you where Bill is getting at. What Bill is getting at is. Are you writing a book about Go? That's what he wants to ask you. Oh, am I writing a book about Go? Without those notes. 
I'm not. I'm not writing a book about Go. I love being able to connect with people. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of view it as like anthropologically, we've learned from each other in person. That's the vast amount of our history through evolution as humans. We learn talking to each, each other. And so in my trainings, I really love trying to, so much gets conveyed non-verbally. And so you could hear my voice, but if you could also see me, I think that that conveys a lot. And, um, and so I just really love that medium of teaching where, you know, it's online, it's a course, you could see what I'm showing you on the screen. You know, you get the nuances of my voice. I could school you a little bit and give you direction and go tell you to do this exercise. Go do it. Go do it now. Just pause the video. Do do the exercise. Right. And it's fun. Like personality comes through. You could see me, you know, so I really try to do that with all of my courses. A lot of courses like are just sort of a very narrated reading a script voiceover presentation or screencast. And, eh, you know, I mean, you can learn things from those, but it's like it lacks that life and that vitality. And I think that's, again, where that sort of artistic soul of mine comes in, where I love to create and, and think about the aesthetics of it and what's the final product, what's the, the feel of it going to be, you know, um, and how do you, how do you convey something and have a good time and enjoy it and also, you know, build all that into it. And so, so I'm not writing a book right now, but I, I, but check this out. But when I do a course, like my last course on HTML and CSS, because like when I was teaching it and when I got back into it, I couldn't find any materials that taught it the way I thought it should be taught. And there's a lot of things that would like, well, let's jump really quickly into bootstrap. And it's like, well, no, you should really understand the fundamentals of HTML and CSS before you jump into bootstrap. I know bootstrap gives you fast, quick results, but, you know, that comes at a price <laughs> and it's going to catch up with you later. And so, you know, my last course that I created, HTML and CSS, the outline, the outline for that course is 300 pages, <laughs> you know, so I'm not writing a book, but my courses are very thorough. Like each lecture, I'm documenting what I say and uh, what the points should be that you get from that lecture. So students could go back and control F through it to find that one subject or you know, they could skim it and see, oh, do I need to watch this video? You know, so I just try to give people the tools they need to learn. Um, that's kind of like, you know, my craft being an educator. How do I do it as well as possible and, and create the most beautiful um, and useful pieces of education material? Like an architect might want, I want a beautiful and useful building or, you know, um, that kind of a deal, you know. That's awesome. We need to take our first sponsor break. And today our first sponsor is Minio, one of my absolute favorite companies in the Go community because uh, they make awesome products and maybe even more importantly to me because they support the community so strongly. Uh, haven't seen a company in the Go community send so much support to all of the different user groups, to the conferences, to the people. Uh, Minio is supporting everybody. So uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, from a deep and honest level, I appreciate Minio and all of the people there. Uh, they're building a system that is S3 compatible storage, which means you can interact with it from your application just like you would uh, any other AWS object storage service. So if you have a need for a low cost but highly available storage system powered by S3 compatible overlay, Minio is for you. It's written in Go and it's really easy to install on your server. 
the awesome thing that just happened uh, yesterday, if I remember right, seeing in their Twitter feed, um, they released a beta of their distributed file system. So uh, go out to Minio.io, I think. Is it Minio? I better double check. Uh, where is it? Yeah, Minio.io. And check that out. You can do uh, get inputs just using any uh, AWS S3 client, or you can use theirs, which has a few extra features. Uh, it also supports Redis, Elasticsearch, Postgres, just like a regular database, uh, Kafka, AMQP, and NATS. Uh, really amazing system, and uh, Minio plus Kubernetes together allows you to build a really big multi-tenant cloud storage environment. Uh, in the Kubernetes classes that I teach, I recommend Minio for them for using object storage. So I have a lot of love for Minio and a lot of love for the company. So they are our first sponsor today. So, Todd, um, you said that you don't like the idea of bootstrapping because you quickly reach a point where you don't know what you're doing because you don't have the foundation. Or maybe I'm interpreting more than what you said here. But I think that also has to do with what you said about Go being a real language. But I wanted to hear from you what you mean when you say that Go is a real language. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I really believe... Uh you know, in minimalism and stripping things down and keeping everything as light as possible and that, you know, every line of code, you should know what it's doing and you should not have any extraneous code. I mean, if, if it's if it's there and you're not using it, why is it there? <laughs> and that's actually, you know, one of the design practices, idioms of Go is you can't have a variable if you're not going to use it. That's an error. Right. And I love that about Go. And it's similar for me in everything I approach, you know, like in my house. It's like, you know, I don't want to have stuff around if I'm not using it. Pass it on, donate it, let somebody else use it. And it's like with HTML and CSS, like I'm not a fan of frameworks and libraries. Like, yeah, they get a lot of things done for you quickly. And if you understand the fundamentals, HTML, CSS, JavaScript enough, to be able to go in and know what they're doing and tweak them and adjust them when you need to do that, fantastic. Use them all day, right? Because there's a it's a tool and there and there's a place where you can apply it. But um, if you just learn Bootstrap, if you just learn jQuery, and if you do that at the expense of learning HTML and CSS or at the expense of learning JavaScript, and I think you've really missed. I believe I strongly, firmly believe. You've really missed a super important layer in your foundation, your educational foundation, to be uh, competent and skilled uh, developing applications on the web. And so, you know, if you look at like metrics, and I'm really into building websites now, and we're putting together a website ourselves, which I'm very excited about. And performance is so key, it's such a key metric. When you look at studies on performance, like Amazon lowers you know, their, their time by 100 milliseconds and sales go up like 1%. It's like, whoa, people are super sensitive. But, you know, performance is really key. So the average size of a web page today, 2,200 to 2,400 kilobytes, right? And the site we're building right now is 400 to 600 each page kilobytes. And so we're like one-tenth, one-sixth the size of average sites. How do we do that? We don't have any jQuery. <laughs> we don't have Bootstrap. And like when we want to put an image onto the page, we're not using Font Awesome because if you download Font Awesome, that's 100 kilobytes. 
that's one twenty fourth of your budget, your you know your size budget for that page if you're trying to hit normal sizes today. Uh, instead, we extract SVGs, run them through Illustrator, get that SVG, and then stick that code in, right? And then it costs us maybe seven kilobytes or five kilobytes on that page for those images. And so just keeping things lean and uh, having complete control over your code base and a thorough understanding of your code base, to me, that's what it means to be a craftsperson. This is very much a craft. It's the craft of building software. And just like somebody who, if they were a woodworker, like they would know all the tools in the wood shop and they would know the different characteristics of the different materials they work with. And when you first come into a craftsperson's workspace, like a woodworker's workspace, you might be like, holy cow, <laughs> there's a lot to know about this craft. <laughs> there's like a hundred different lays, you know, or all these different, you know, little chisels and files and where would you use each one and why and which material would you choose for which situation? But after time, you know, you you become that craftsperson, you have that intimate knowledge of all of your tools and all of your materials, then you could really start to build, you know, beautiful, uh, well-built, performant applications. And so that's my approach is just to do things well. And, um, you know, when I looked at server-side languages, like different languages approach things in different ways. But uh, Go seemed to me to be, you know, the one that was like, the most Zen. So I guess just coming back to that word Zen and the one that is the most fundamental and, you know, you're working down at a, a low level and you understand everything that's going on. You're actually getting that request and parsing that text and you could build your own serve mux if you want. A lot of that is abstracted away for you if you use the net HTTP package in the standard library, but it, you could grap grapple it. You could wrap your head around it and you could see what's happening there and and um, so I don't know if that answered your question, Carlicia, but, you know, being a programmer's language and, and I don't I don't have, you know, the depth of experience with like Ruby, like I never did any Ruby. But from what I've heard of Ruby, it's like there's a lot of magic. And also from what I saw of Python and Django, you know, it's like, hey, put in a couple of lines of code and compile 15 minutes. We have an entire CRUD application. And it's like, yeah, but just what happened there? <laughs> and how much custom, you know, how much ability do you have to customize it? Whereas if you learn Go Web Dev with Go, like if you learn Web Dev with Go, then you're like, okay, well, you, you need to understand, you know, that the engine, Internet Engineering Task Force are the people who put together the recommendations for how the Internet and the web should be deployed and built. And they have these requests for comments. And there's been a variety of requests for comments, this entire history of, you know, how the web's been built. and you know, the 7230s up in there, that's where those are the current ones. And then here are the specs. And, you know, and this is what happens. And you could take that text that's coming in and you could work with it and, you know, pull out the pieces. You could pull out the, the method and you could pull out the route and make decisions based upon that, do a little conditional logic. And so that's kind of what I mean about a uh, programmer's language. Sometimes I say, Go suffers no fools. <laughs> kind of like the pirate ride at Disneyland. Dead <laughs> men tail no tails. Go suffers no fools. Because I'll hit these walls where I'm like, I have no idea what is happening there. And Go has humbled me so many times, brought me to my knees with hours spent contemplating the simplest things, you know, <laughs> I mean, in retrospect, I look at them and it's like, okay, I get that now. I understand it. it's simple now. But like at the time, I'm like, what the heck is happening there with strip prefix, <laughs> you know? 
And how do I get street pre- prefects to work and serve my files? Like hours spent on that. But um, so it doesn't suffer fools. I mean, it's got runes, right? It's got a slice of bite. Uh, and so, I mean, it just gets, it gets down to like all of your data structures and everything. And I just got to ramble a little bit more about Go. This is one of the things I love about Go is innovation. Like technology is about innovation. And for me, that that's my perspective, but it's like, that's the heart of what, that's the cornerstone of what programming technology is about. And a a lot of people, like, as I've kind of like met people learning the language, they're like, how come it doesn't have generics, right? Well, this isn't OOP. Where's the inheritance? You know, I'm like, you're you're a programmer, right? You create things that innovate. You need to innovate too. And I feel like that's what they did with Go is they looked at like, hey, this is how programming's evolved, spaghetti code, procedural, you know, structured, OOP. And they said, let's look at, and they looked at research, you know, like Tony Horse, CSP. And then they said, let's integrate all that and do this new thing. And when I was first starting to learn Go, people are like, Go's all about types. It's all about types. I'm like, I don't understand that yet. (laughs) But now I'm like, oh, it's totally all about types. You create your own types. I could create my own type hot dog if I want. And the underlying type can be an int. And then I could attach a method to that. And, you know, interfaces and... And so I feel like Go innovated and took kind of like programming and tried to bring it to the next level, whatever, you know, name you might put on that. But from spaghetti to procedural structure to OP to, you know, the next sort of evolution of coding. So a programmer's language, it's the it's a programmer's language and it suffers no fools because, um, yeah, you got to you got to know what's going on. And to really use it, you you uh, you have to understand like a lot of the most important concepts of programming. Yeah, I love the the description that you gave. Uh, you threw a lot of concepts in there, and we couldn't. There's a lot we couldn't pack from what you said. But I think basically you're saying at the at the base of what you said is you're equating a real language with craftsmanship, and I agree with that. Um, I think a lot of languages have have so many options that you can throw at your code and you spend a lot of times making decisions about things that at the end of the day, they're not really what's going to make your craft. And with Go, because it's so minimalistic and so simple, you start moving out of that and making different types of decisions. But at the same time, you're always thinking about trade-offs. So... You're day in and day out in the classroom with people at all skill levels. And, and one of the things that we're, at least GoBridge is really focused on going into next year is how do we take people who have never programmed before and want to program and get them learning programming with Go? And there's lots of challenges there. And I, I thought it'd be awesome if you can help anybody who's listening, who's really interested in doing training. Um, what are some really positive things that we can do and maybe one of some of the things that you've learned not to do when it comes to teaching go, especially beginners? Uh, I love the adage of teaching that, uh, the expert makes everything easy, <laughs> you know? And so somebody who's super skilled with the language can, you know, if they also have the ability to teach and that's true in any subject, they could then convey difficult things simplistically. You know, and um, I feel like I'm just starting to hit stride with teaching the language and being able to take like all these concepts and like in an hour, 
I could lay out some really cool things for people. Um, you know, the first thing that came to mind, Bill, is I did a presentation here at a little tech event we had in Fresno and gave everybody an introduction to language. And I made a video about that on YouTube. So we could put that video in the show links. But it's just a, if there's people out there who are interested in Go, you're wanting to start to learn Go, uh, you can check out that video on my YouTube channel. And, and in like 45 minutes, it lays out, you know, the variable, how you declare your variables and different ways you use the variables and lays out all the basics, gets you up through, you know, declaring types, structs, uh, aggregate data type that holds, you know, different types of data together in one data type and methods and interfaces and polymorphism. And so that's all like in 40 minutes. Um, in terms of teaching people, uh, like, okay, go bridge. We want to reach out to people, disadvantaged populations, uh, also, and people who've had no experience with computers, or maybe, you know, didn't grow up with a lot of access to computers. Um, I think that the next thing that comes to mind is reach them when they're young. If you can, there's research out there that shows there's a break point psychologically at age 13, and then again at age 25, where it becomes after those breakpoints becomes harder and harder to learn a language. And that's just any language, you know, ling linguistics. Well, let, let me let me interrupt you real quick. Let me because yeah. this is kind of what I'm I'm looking for. So Natalie, who lives in Berlin, has been been giving classes to beginner beginners. Yeah. And um, one of the things that she's noticed, and, and these are the kind of the things that we as people who, who want to educate won't learn until we get into the classroom. One of the things she's noticed, which I thought was fascinating is that people who are just starting out programming will not ask questions. She's got to almost directly in, ask that person directly, ask me a question, ask me a question before they will. Yeah. Are you finding those types of things and how are you dealing with those? Like how, how can somebody who wants to get into the space, what are they going to experience and, and how have you gotten around those types of issues? No, I, I think that that's a, that's a really key point to teaching anything but a lot of people have difficulty um, asking questions. And so that, that I think, is just something that teachers need to be informed about, that you really need to encourage your students, hey, ask questions, right? That's your job as a student. If you knew everything, you'd be the teacher, <laughs> but you don't. So you're the student. And once you know everything, you'll, you, you could be the teacher if you want to be. And the way you learn everything is asking questions. I remember when I was in grad school, I would ask questions. I would ask questions. I'd ask questions. And professors would be like, okay, come see me in the office hour because you're the only one with questions. And then after class, people would be like, thank you so much for asking those questions. I don't get it either. I'm like, why weren't you asking questions then? You know, um, so it is hard for people to ask questions. And I think just creating, like bringing that, that human element and connecting with your students and creating that atmosphere where they feel comfortable, you know, and where it's fine to not, to not get it right. Like, there's a, a a saying that I came up with one time. Um, the more I admit I don't know, the higher I go. The higher I go, the harder it becomes to admit I don't know. <laughs> you know, and so I don't know if it's an ego thing or if it's like there's like we want to like I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing, but encouraging students to ask questions is a good one. I think that there's uh, definitely a social factor in people. Uh, not wanting to admit that there are things that they don't know. And I think it, it changes in different cultures too. So it, it's a lot stronger in the American culture from what I've seen. And there are definitely other cultures where people have a different uh, approach to 
what they know and what they don't know. Yeah. You know what? I'm I'm going to risk and say it's it, it might be a universal thing because I I grew up in Brazil and my elementary up all the way up to high school was done in Brazil. And I was like Todd, I was the one asking the questions all the time, sometimes up to a point of being a pain in the butt. Yeah. And 90% of the class was was asking questions. Uh it was always like this. Every I lived in different cities, it was always like this. Yeah. So it might be normal. Like most people won't ask questions. All right. So enough theory. Let's model it. Let's all start admitting what we don't know. <laughs> right now. Well, I can tell you one way to figure out what you don't know is by using Backtrace, our second sponsor. Backtrace sponsored GopherCon live stream this year. So if you're one of the over 10,000 people who tuned in on Twitch, you can thank Backtrace for that. Software teams are using Backtrace to take the headache and guesswork out of debugging across all of their environments. They jump into action when your Go application fails by capturing detailed application state information, including the complete set of Go routines, channels, and wait duration, plus schedule information, which I find absolutely awesome. Backtrace analyzes the state and archives it in a central object store, letting you explore all of the interesting patterns and discover rich data in your errors. Uh, awesome companies like Fastly, our CDN partner that makes changelog.com so damn fast, Limelight Networks, Message System, and AppNexus are using Backtrace. So you can head over to backtrace.io slash go time to learn more and start a free trial. I think they're cool. So talking about uh, beginners in teaching, I have a question for Todd that's more generic. I would like to know your opinion about whether kids should learn how to program early on. And I will volunteer my opinion. I say usually kids should not be spending time programming early on. Maybe like after, when they're early teens, they, they could start learning. Because I think kids should invest time in learning, especially how to write. Because there is so much reasoning and logic that goes into writing. And programming is so much about reasoning and, and logic. And writing is so important for so much of our, so many aspects of our lives that I think you have to make time for programming and you have to cut time for, for, from somewhere. And I would much rather have kids spending extra time in, in writing rather than programming. Because when they get to a point where they can assimilate things at a faster rate, which will be when they are older, they can pick up programming really quickly. People think that they need to uh, get kids into programming early because it takes so long, long to learn programming. So I don't agree with that. I think when you're ready, you learn fast. So what, what's your opinion on that? Like when your students come into your class, do they have a background in programming? Do they start early? Do you see there's a difference? Who is better prepared to learn as far as you can tell? So the students that I've seen that started programming really young, they did that because they had a passion for it. I haven't seen any like tiger parents who are like, I'm going to make my kid program. He's going to be the next Tychowski of programming. <laughs> I haven't seen that in our, in our community, but the kids who got into it because they were just passionate about it. If they got into it young, they are amazing. Like they speak that language like, you know, it's their native tongue. And so I think it's fantastic if kids could program before 13. And I also think if we're going to force certain subjects on students, reading, writing, arithmetic, I think coding needs to be in there. 
Like that's just, that needs to be your bread and butter. And that's, that's the new math. That's the way we knew, do calculations for engineering tasks. Like, yeah, you need to know some basics, multiplication, uh, division, and subtraction, addition. But, you know, beyond that, you should just be coding, I think. I'd rather see official logic first. I'd rather have a formal training in real logic than programming first. I think uh, programming is, a, is an extension to math and logic. So a good background in math and then logic and then programming would help programmers. I think one of the things that I stumbled with, I was one of those kids that was programming at 10 and, you know, I just, I didn't understand all of the concepts. Mm. So I fumbled through them and, and had I had maybe more formal training in logic earlier, it might've been easier. Oh, cool. And I'm always in, when, when I think about teaching beginners, I'm always focused on what is that visual aspect to it? Cause I feel like if there isn't a visual aspect, it's really hard because everything's just abstracted. So how do you bring a visual aspect that is reasonable to that beginner programmer so they can really see what they're doing outside of writing to standard out? Yeah. This is a, this is a complete off top, well, kind of off topic, but it just reminded me. So I traded in my Mac on a Surface Book a month ago, and I've been on the road for an entire month with the Surface Book training, and it's been awesome. I really love it. But one of the things that really stood out for me as an exceptional reason to do this is that in the middle of the class, when somebody asks me, how does Kubernetes networking work? I stop what I'm doing. I open up the sketchbook and I draw on the screen a, a diagram of Kubernetes network. And the first time I did it, the entire class stood up with their cell phones and took a picture of the, the projector. That's awesome. And it, I was blown away. I, I didn't realize just how much you know, the ability to, to draw live on the screen would make a big difference. It's just totally a random thought, but it, it's it's part of that whole visual thing. Yeah, that's, I like that. And Todd, you know, I live on the whiteboard in the classroom. Um, yeah. Do you use a whiteboard in your classroom at all? I mean, how do you do that visual piece when you're, when you're in, in your classroom? Yeah, totally. I use a whiteboard. Uh, you know, it depends upon what I'm trying to convey, but it's another tool at my disposal. So when situation calls for it, I like the whiteboard. I also will... Uh, I've just started for my online courses, instead of trying to Photoshop something out and make a diagram, I just get a blank white piece of page, some color pens, <laughs> take a picture of it with my cell phone, good enough. And I like that sort of like sketched out quality. It's nice. So it's kind of similar to you, Brian, where you're just sketching it out on your screen. Yeah, I find it really helps. Yeah. I ended up doing it in, in every class this last month. And talking about your online courses, the Udemy course on Go that you have, First of all, I want to say to, for everybody to hear, I have heard so many people, I mean, seen so many people comment on Slack or on Twitter that they learned your, they learned Go by doing the Udemy course that you, you have and that they loved it. That's cool. <laughs> it's like, it's over and over and over and over again. And I didn't, I haven't taken the course yet, but it, it's definitely on my to-do list. Now, I wanted to ask you, why do you think people rave about your course so much? I don't know. Maybe because I'm a goofball. <laughs> and uh, and I, I kind of like, I don't know, you know, for me, it's kind of like just hanging out here with you guys. And it's like, it's it's fun. I like talking <laughs> and and I like sharing. And it, it, it's, I don't know. So for me, I approach it as like, um, you know, I'm just... I hated, I hate the ivory tower of academia. 
And I hate that pretension and ostentation, you know, whatever, however you say that word. Right. But like, you know, I like approachable and I think we're all in this together and I know some things. So let me share them with you. And I know that all of you (laughs) can and have Bill and Brian. I've learned from you guys like we all learn from each other. So I don't know. I I just approach it in that that way. And that's how I approach my classes. It's just like, hey, let's have a good time and and enjoy ourselves and and figure this stuff out. And um and I think also it's the fact that I've been doing it for since, gosh, man, 1997. So almost two decades. And if you look at like Malcolm Gladwell's theory on outliers takes 10,000 hours or, you know, four hours a day for 10 years to become an expert at something. And I definitely know that the way I teach today is really different than the way I taught when I started out. So I think it's a skill like anything too, like knowing sort of how to you know, present material and how to do uh, or oratory oration, public speaking in a way that's captivating and compelling, like changing pacing, changing the volume, you know, which I've just done here to demonstrate it and then speeding it up. Like all of that as humans, like we are designed to notice that which changes. And so if you could keep stimulating people, <laughs> they keep paying attention. And you do that in a variety of different little techniques that I don't even think about anymore unless I stop and start talking about them. But um, so I think that all has something to do with it. I don't know. Todd, I can also give you an answer to this because over the last three months, in fact, two days ago at the Vancouver meetup, somebody's glowing talking about um, your course and, and the video. So and I'm seeing this more and more and it's always this ridiculously positive glowing experience. And I ask people what they're getting out of the, out of the video. And I think it also kind of lends into some things that Natalie was sharing with me too, with her experience. I think when you're on that video um, teaching people, people are not threatened. Like you're this authority. You're able to give people that, that idea that you are with them in the same boat and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn with them on this video. And I think it just completely relaxes people. And Natalie's experience, she's told me in the classroom, when she's made mistakes, it has sometimes really helped the entire class kind of open up a little bit more because it's like she's not perfect and neither are we. And I think that's a huge, um, a huge aspect to your videos and how you approach teaching. Oh, nice. And we should mention that Todd's giving a coupon discount, uh, code for a discount for his Udemy course, which in the code is GoTime. So for listeners, you can definitely use that. Yeah. And I also really believe in pay it forward, help the world. I only got to where I am because, you know, tons of people <laughs> helped me out along the way. Right. And so if you're out there and you can, I think GoTime gives you access to my courses for $10. Um, if you can't afford that because you're in a third world country where 10 USD is just like a month's wages or something, or you're just a student and you're eating top ramen. Like, just send me a note on Twitter and I'll give you free access. So don't even think twice about it. I love to do that. I love to help people out. And uh, it's awesome for me just to see. I, I, I truly believe education is one of the noblest of endeavors. And is that as somebody improves themselves, they're improving the world. Like Gandhi said, be the change, you know. And, uh, and if you are that change, if you are making change in your life, if you're educating yourself, you are making the world a better place. And then once you have risen up, as you, once you've lifted yourself up, you're now in a position 
to lift other people up. So um, I, I'm a full full believer in in uh, doing what I can to help others. And if you can't afford it, just send me a note and I'll give you free access. You know, we love that attitude. Uh, Bill and Eric and I feel the same way about the book that we wrote. And when people ask, we are always glad to help them have it without cost. I think Bill Kennedy gets paid every time he sends somebody a book because he's always trying to push his, the book for free yeah. to people. Yeah. 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 He gave my entire class his book. <laughs> so, well, you know, that generous spirit always comes back. You know, you can never have too many friends. Actually, and the royalties to the book, Brian, they get, that goes to Gopher Academy every year for the scholarship fund, right? Yeah, we split the royalties for the book between GoBridge and Gopher Academy. So none of us are making any money off the book anyway. <laughs> they they help support the scholarship fund for GopherCon. They help support all of the GoBridge activities. That's great. So let's move to interesting Go news and projects. And I'd like to start this off with uh, something that's interesting, but not perhaps awesome. Uh, the Reddit Golang subreddit kerfluffle this week. Oh, my uh, God. Started with the CEO of Reddit uh, deleting things and uh, editing posts, which I find absolutely an abomination. You should never, ever change users' content. And I, I, it's horrible. And I reacted very poorly by saying that Reddit was a sky, uh, what was it, a wretched hive of scum and villainy, the, uh, <laughs> the ben, ben Kenobi quote. And a lot of people took that poorly. I would like to publicly apologize for uh, mischaracterizing all of Reddit uh, for just the tiny percentage of the world that's really a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Most of the people on Reddit are really awesome, especially the Go Reddit. So this is my public apology for my uh, gross overstatement of the issues on Reddit. I want to say something about that, which is I saw so many well thought out and kind comments on that thread. People saying, let's have temperament. Let's really think this through. Do we really want to delete the subreddit? And they had a really nice conversation. It was lovely to see. So on to more interesting news. Go 1.8 beta 1 released today. Raise your hand if you installed it. I already did. Can you see my hand? I'm installing it tonight. It is awesome. I mean, I, you know, and by awesome, I mean, it didn't break anything and the compiles are a little faster and the code seems a little bit faster, but overall, awesome. Cool. I'm kind of excited about two pieces of this update. The, um, the new profiling that you can get out of the tracing tool. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested to see how the plugin stuff ends up working and being adopted because some of that is a little like we can get in a lot of trouble with the plugin, but it's also really interesting. I'm afraid of the plugins, honestly. One of the things that I loved about Go was that it was static and, you know, there was no question at runtime what was going to be happening with your app. Mm. You know, the whole idea of dy dynamically loading other code uh, just opens a whole can of fear for me. I'll, I'm sure I'll get over it eventually. I wonder if you could block that from happening. Like, could you lock your code and say, hey, nothing external is going to plug into my code and run? You have to actually write code to dynamically load other plugins. So it's, it's, it's not going to happen automatically or, or by mistake. So it's not something that, you, that can happen implicitly. You have to explicitly 
make it happen. But it does, it scares me a little bit, I'll be honest. I am very excited about all of the changes in the HTTP package, graceful shutdowns, context everywhere, and the DB SQL package. Holy cow. I mean, almost every function in DB SQL now has an equivalent that takes a context as the first parameter. So we get awesome cancellations all throughout the database package. And I, I don't even know what kind of speed they're taking over at the garbage collection team, but they must be living next to a meth lab because all they do is make <laughs> that damn garbage collector faster and faster and faster and faster. Uh, kudos to them for working so hard to make garbage collection awesome. Brian, and I'm sure you had the same thought I did reading through the 1.8 notes. All I thought about was, oh my God, we have a lot of work to do to update the materials we're teaching. Right? Yeah, so much. <laughs> so much. There's so many big changes. And, and you know, the thing about the, the Go1 compatibility guarantee is that that code that you wrote for Go1 is still going to work in 1.8. I love that. But I was actually thinking exactly the same thing this morning, or no, last night when I was reading those release notes was, God, I got a lot of material to update. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And context, because it's being used as much as it is, I think now becomes a really important topic for all of us to start teaching and teaching effectively and making sure people aren't abusing the context as a generic bag of values and, and teaching cancellation, right? Properly. Yeah. I teach context now in day two of my three-day class. I, it, I bring it right in. I, you almost have to. It, it's so big in Go now. Yeah, I want to come sit in on your guys' classes again, get a fresh take on all the material you're teaching. I like learning from you. Really looking forward to taking Brian's online class about, uh, is it web development the name of the class, Brian? What is it? <laughs> which one? The, the one that you're doing online. Uh, well, which one? I'm doing a lot online. I've got one at the end of the month, um, Go for Not Beginners. What's it called? Uh, go Beyond the Basics. But it's not, not necessarily web. Yeah, that one. That's the one. You better hurry up and sign up too. Last I heard, uh, out of the 300 seats in that, there were only 20 left. And it just opened yesterday. I need to find somebody to pay for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm doing it again in January and February. So uh, there'll, there'll be time to take it again. Yeah, I'm sure. I will. I'll definitely take it though. Is that one of the classes through O'Reilly or is that something you're doing? Yeah, no, that's an O'Reilly webinar. And I don't, I don't know how their new pricing scheme works, but I think it's open for anybody who's a, a Safari Online member or something like that. I don't know. Some really ridiculously lower pricing for Safari people. Oh, I think I signed up for that. I haven't canceled Outlook. <laughs> yeah, check it out because I think it, it makes out. a big difference. Thanks, thanks for letting me know. And let's see. Oh, 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 oh. This one could not be more exciting. You know, when I get excited about Go packages, holy cow. So um, Travis Jeffrey or Jeffrey Travis, I'm not sure which because they both sound like first names. He's writing a Kafka implementation in Go. And I wish I had a dollar for every time I said, I wish somebody would just rewrite Kafka in Go. Now somebody's doing it. It's called Jocko. It's at github.com slash Travis Jeffrey slash Jocko. It's nearly implemented. I think there's just a few bits left. And when I was talking to him on Twitter, he said that the bits that were left were really just a weekend of work. I don't know at, at what um, quality level it's at yet. I haven't tried it yet, but I am so excited. It's completely client compatible with Kafka. And there's nothing that makes me more excited than having Kafka without having to put a JVM on a machine somewhere. So crazy excited about Kafka rewritten in Go. 
Jocko is the name of that. What do you do with Kafka? I mean, are you using Kafka on anything that you're building now or is it just... I, I use Kafka everywhere I can. I think it's, and I've probably said this on the show before, I think it's probably uh, the most underrated technology of the last 10 years. It's such an amazing tool for uh, data storage and streaming. And it's, it's like Git, but for your data. It's amazing. Hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to model that not knowing right here for all the other students out there. And, and I experience this at times when I, I listen to GoTime, but it's like, Oh yeah, what is Kafka? I've never heard of it or never been exposed to it. So, so it's for it's like GitHub, but for data. Well, that's a a poor way to to say it, and I, maybe I should have said it better. Kafka is a um, a oh gosh, it, it's so difficult to describe a distributed data store that processes streams that um, uh, allows you to get to your data at different points in time. So we use hmm. we use Kafka frequently as the source of truth for our data and then other systems like the databases the queues and whatever read from kafka and that propagates the data throughout the system so kafka is the source of truth and everything else reads from kafka distributed log thank you eric st martin for jumping in and telling me it's a distributed log Mm. so it, it kind of allows you to um to have any client be able to come in they can say you know start me at zero and give me all of the changes in the data. And it's just, it's an amazing system. I, if you haven't played with Kafka yet, go check out the documentation. There's a steep kind of conceptual curve to Kafka. So you, you need to dedicate some time to read it. But once I did that, I, I just could not love technology more than I love Kafka. Hey guys, I, um, I'm in the middle of a training in Vancouver at Hootsuite and I got to get out of here, but I really appreciate you letting me, uh, be on the show today, Todd. It was awesome to talk to you, Brian, Carlicia. We'll talk soon. Um, thank you guys again for letting me uh, be a host today. Thanks a bunch, Bill. Yeah, good visiting, Bill. Take care. And tell the people at Hootsuite, I, I don't hold it against them that they picked you instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even on the radar. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Hoot, hoot. All right. So uh, let's move on to Free Software Friday, one of my favorite segments. Uh, every week, we try to give a shout out to an open source maintainer or a group that makes a project that you love. Sometimes not everybody has one. Sometimes we have more than one. But uh, today, I'll start off with uh, the surprise of the year, maybe the surprise of the decade. I'm going to shout out to Microsoft and Rich Turner and the whole team at the Windows Subsystem for Linux group for replacing three computers on my desktop with just one. Hmm. I am so excited about uh, Windows Subsystem for Linux. I now run a Surface Book and Linux right on top of it. I don't need my Mac and my Linux and my Windows machine anymore to get all of the different jobs that I need to do. I don't even have a Mac anymore. So thank you to everybody at the WSL team for finally making 2016 the year of Linux on the desktop. You don't have a Mac? That's blasphemy. No, it's not. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. I got to tell you, it's amazing. Oh, my God. There's a handful of things that uh, I miss from my Mac, um, but, but I've got Linux and it's right there and it's real Linux and it works. Nice. I mean, I get it if you didn't have the Mac before and you just had Linux, but you had the Mac all this time and you just got rid of it. Yeah, I've written a couple of blog posts about this. We, we probably don't have time on this show to go into why I switched, but absolutely I'm happy. 
All right, give me the links. <laughs> anyway, my I'm going to break the rule today, and I'm not going to sh- give a shout-out to software. I'm going to instead give a shout-out to all the Go Meetup organizers. So it so happened that last night I was with Eric uh, here in San Diego because he was here for work. And I met up with him and also Gautam, who is the other Go Meetup organizer here in San Diego with me and also Alex. At any rate, we were talking about meetups and, you know, it's such hard work. And I talked to other organizers as well. It's such hard work and it, it takes so much grit and really a desire to grow the community and help the community stay together. So I have a huge appreciation. I want to give a shout out to everybody. And uh, along the same lines, I also want to say that I'm going to be in the Boston area for Christmas. Go Patriots! And I would love to get together with the meetup organizers there. And I'm also going to be in San Francisco in January. And I'm hoping that the San Francisco meetup is going to happen on the weekend, on the week that I'm there. So meetups are awesome. Yeah. And I just would also like to chime in that if there's anything I could do for any of those meetups or any of the different groups around the world, uh, if you want to have me as a guest speaker and you're close to Fresno or you just want to like video conference me in to talk about Go or any of that stuff, feel free to reach out to me, Todd McLeod. Um, Twitter is probably the easiest way to reach me at Todd underscore McLeod. Uh, that link will be in the show notes too. Uh, free software Friday. So reflecting upon this, like what free software do I use for which, you know, I'm, I'm appreciative. And when I started to reflect upon that question, I, I kind of just had this sense of amazement because there's like so much <laughs> free software, which I use, you know, and it's like I hadn't really thought about it before. And it's like I just kind of I, I had that amazement and gratitude, like, oh, my gosh, look at what humans have created. You know, there's like so much which is out there. Uh, so, so many different things came to mind for me. But you know, the big ones, which oftentimes just go unnoticed and sort of like we just sort of take them for granted. But I've mentioned like the IETF and the RFCs and like, you know, the entire web, <laughs> you know, and uh, godoc.org, like who made godoc.org? <laughs> it has both the standard library and third party packages. I use that every day. <laughs> Love godoc.org, right? Or just the different packages that you could find in there that people have coded up. New Seven Hatch, Satori, Julian Schmidt, all of them in the last week. And so uh, I just have that sense of appreciation for the amount of free sharing and giving which goes on in the world and just taking that moment to sort of recognize it. So I, I thank you, Brian, for coming up with that idea for Free Software Friday. Because it's a really cool experience just to sort of step back and pause and be like, holy cow, yeah, man, there are a lot of people who are doing a lot of good and and just doing things to contribute to the greater commons of the of the world, you know? Yeah. And by the way, Godoc was Gary Bird and he donated it to the Go team uh, two years ago, give or take. And we all use Godoc so often. So thank you to him specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, uh, I'd like to thank everybody. Uh, Todd, thanks for coming in. Carlicia and Bill, who's who's already departed, but thanks for stepping in for us today, Bill. And thanks to everybody who's uh, listening out there. Thanks to our dedicated Slack team in the GoTime FM channel on the Gopher Slack. We, we couldn't have this much fun without you guys. Thank you to both Minio and Backtrace for being amazing companies and sponsors for us. 
Uh, we encourage you to share this show with all of your friends and especially if they like go or if you're trying to kind of nudge them towards go we might be able to help with that easy way to subscribe is to head to gotime.fm and you can subscribe to our weekly email which should be coming shortly you can follow us at twitter on at gotime.fm and if you have something that you want to discuss on the show or a guest you think we might want to bring on head to gotime uh, github.com slash gotime.fm slash ping so on that note thanks everybody we really appreciate this show this is a fun one Yeah, great fun. Thank you. Bye.